Most toy packages carry labels like non-toxic and meets ASTM and various other standards. And if you go to government websites, they talk about all the ways they protect us from dangerous products. But what do these claims mean, especially when it comes to the safety of children's toys? Well, in 2008, Mattel recalled nearly 1 million toys that were made in China that contained lead as high as 11 parts per million. That's 180 times the legal limit. There is no known safe level of lead for children, so even the legal limits aren't necessarily safe. Also in 2008, a Toronto newspaper, the Toronto Star, purchased toys from 18 retailers and found lead in about one in every four products purchased. Most of the products were made in China. Lead is a known toxin, particularly for children, and is the most heavily regulated toxin for children's products in Canada and the US. But it's just one contaminant found in children's toys. And if the chemical with the strictest regulations is falling through the cracks, what does it mean for the rest? Let's look at the toxins that are commonly found in children's toys, what regulations do exist, and how you can shop for safer products for your family. Welcome to the Missing Pillar of Health podcast, the show that tackles the often misunderstood and underestimated topics related to toxins and their impact on our health and well-being. I'm your host, environmental engineer, mom of two, and founder of Green at Home, Emma Roman. My mission is to help you reduce toxins in your life without fear, judgment, or shame, so you can be more informed and empowered to take action on issues that matter to your health. The research is clear that toxic chemicals found in the products we use, food we eat, water we drink, and air we breathe are contributing to the rise of chronic illness, allergies, infertility, autoimmune disease, and more. The good news is you can reduce your exposure without having to drastically change your lifestyle, and I'm here to show you how. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. I believe addressing toxins is a critical step towards creating healthier and happier families, communities, and ultimately a better planet. And that starts right here, right now. Let's dive into today's show. Before we get into the content, I'd like to take a moment to thank listener Megan13C for their review of the show. She wrote, thank you for reducing the overwhelm. Emma conveys important information in an easy-to-understand fashion without judgment or condescension. Thank you for saving me endless hours of Googling. I so appreciate all the reviews. If you've been enjoying the show, I would love for you to take a moment and share a review too. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do it right from the app. If you're listening somewhere else and want to send me an email or DM that I can share, that's great too. Okay. Back to non-toxic toys and what to look for. I want to get into the regulations first because part of the overwhelm I hear from parents about choosing non-toxic products is all the conflicting information. When you say something like, I want non-toxic toys, a lot of the information we hear back is everything sold is regulated and safe, or if products were really that bad, more kids would be getting sick. On the second point, I've talked a lot about why our definition of toxic is inadequate. You can listen to episodes 29 and 30 for more on this. Now, the belief that everything is regulated and toys wouldn't be on shelves if they weren't safe? Well, right off the top, I shared examples of how this just isn't the case. But maybe we've learned something from 2008 and things are better now. 
Let's take a look at the regulations and I'll start with a claim I saw on a product website while researching a brand one of my Healthy Home Collective clients asked me about. Our toys are tested by an independent third-party laboratory accepted by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. We conduct tests on material and each dye used for decoration separately according to the EN71 and ASTM safety standards for European and North American markets. So it sounds pretty good, right? Listing the standard acronyms related specifically to safety. But here's the thing. Most of the safety standards focused on things like hazards and injury. And while these are very important, the standards don't cover toxins well. In the US, the Customer Product Safety Commission is responsible for regulations around toys. To demonstrate compliance with the rules, manufacturers and importers of children's products must provide a children's product certificate based on test results from a CPSC accepted laboratory. This requires a statement on lead, some heavy metals, and certain banned phthalates. However, there are exemptions. If a product is age graded as intended for use in children six years and over, it is not likely to be mouthed or ingested, then it does not need to be tested for eight metals. Lead testing is still required. And if a manufacturer is considered a quote-unquote small batch manufacturer, which is clearly defined, they have to make less than 7,500 units of a product and have a gross revenue less than 1.18 million, then they do not have to provide third-party testing of certain requirements, including total lead content and banned phthalates. Testing by the manufacturer is accepted. What's more, the standard ASTM F936 that US toy makers must adhere to is created by a committee led by the Toy Association, which is the not-for-profit trade association representing all businesses that design, produce, license, and deliver toys and youth entertainment products for kids of all ages. Industry-led standards aren't third-party, and they're not ideal because they often put profits over health and safety. And another exemption that surprised me, given the weight of evidence that no level of lead is safe for children, in 2008, the Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act in the U.S. outlined a phased approach to reducing lead in children's toys. Within six months, one year, and three years, the allowable levels of lead decreased to the current maximum level of 100 parts per million. However, if the commission determines that the 100 ppm limit is not technologically feasible for a product or a product category, the limit can be set up to 300 ppm. So yes, there are regulations, but they also aren't ironclad. Now, for my Canadian listeners, are we any different? In 1998, Health Canada asked industry to voluntarily stop marketing soft vinyl products containing two specific phthalates, DINP and DEHP, if they were intended to be put in the mouths of young children, such as pacifiers, teethers, rattles, and baby bottles. Some manufacturers complied, but the government subsequently found soft vinyl toys and child care products on the market that contained phthalates that were not covered by the voluntary ban. In 2011, the government announced new restrictions to limit the allowable concentrations of three phthalates, DEHP, DBP, and BBP, 
I won't go into the specific chemical names of these. You can look those up if you want to dig into the details. And those were restricted to no more than 1,000 milligrams per kilogram in the soft vinyl of all children's toys and childcare products. They will also restrict the permitted concentrations of three other phthalates, DINP, DIDP, and DNOP, to no more than 1,000 milligrams per kilogram in the same products where children under four years old might put the soft vinyl in their mouths. This follows similar rules that were set earlier in the US and aren't as stringent as the European Union set in 1999. But here's the thing, unlike US regulators, Canadian officials cannot issue mandatory recalls, only what's called recall notices. In reality, these are little more than polite requests with no legal teeth should toy manufacturers ignore the notice. And even though US agents can enforce a recall, these only happen after products have been on shelves, bought, used, and found to cause harm. They are reactive as opposed to proactive. While the EU regulations may be stricter and US and Canadian regulations are becoming more stringent, they all struggle with the same problem, enforcement. The reality is that products aren't tested by governments before being put on store shelves. One example given in, again, a 2008 newspaper article illustrates this. At that time, there were only 46 inspectors monitoring stores across all of Canada. Of that number, 13 patrolled Ontario, 11 for Toronto, Canada's largest city, and two to protect the millions who live outside the city. So like the US, enforcement is reactive and relies on complaints. Okay, so now that we've established that some regulations exist but can't be relied on to make sure the products we buy are truly safe, let's talk about what you should look for when buying toys for your kids. Some of the most concerning toxins commonly found in children's products include BPA, PVC and phthalates, lead and other heavy metals, formaldehyde, and flame retardant chemicals. BPA is an ingredient in polycarbonate plastic and epoxy resins. It has been found to be a hormone disruptor and exposure is linked with behavioral issues in children, increased expression of cancer-related genes, reduced IVF success, cardiovascular health, and estrogen imbalance. BPA isn't regulated in the US for children's products, and in Canada, it was added to the list of toxic substances in 2008, because it was thought to be entering the environment at levels that may pose a risk to human or environmental health. In 2010, Health Canada banned BPA from baby bottles and formula packaging. The migration risk from toys is most likely to be when children suck on products containing BPA. Now looking for BPA free on a label, it's pretty common, but it isn't enough because common replacements also from the bisphenol family like BPS and BPF are showing similar, if not more severe hormone disrupting properties. So we really should be looking for products that are free from polycarbonate plastic, often shown with the recycling number seven, or are fully bisphenol free, not just BPA free. And this may take some digging and asking questions of the manufacturer. Phthalates are also hormone disruptors that are linked with asthma, neurological issues, and reproductive health problems. They are used to make plastic soft and flexible and are often found in products containing PVC, or recycling number three. 
Phthalates are not bound to the material they're used in, so they're easily released through sucking and touch. Household dust actually contains considerable levels of phthalates because of this. Since 2009, any children's product sold or distributed in California has not been able to contain more than 0.1% of phthalates. This is significant because California has a quite substantial buying power, and so often the rules that they set trickle down and carry forward for all products that are sold throughout the U.S. and often even Canada. In 2017, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission banned products that contain more than 0.1% of five different kinds of phthalate chemicals from children products. DINP, DPENP, DHEXP, DCHP, and DIBP. The Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act of 2008 also set a maximum concentration of 0.1% for three additional phthalates, DEHP, DBP, and BBP. And I already mentioned the rules that were set in place for Canada. The European Union has outlawed the use of DEHP, DBP, and BBP in children's products. DINP, DNOP, and DIDP are also banned in toys that children under the age of three might put in their mouths. The European Chemicals Agency has a much harder stance on these chemicals than US or Canada, saying, the use of these chemicals and products is restricted. This restriction will save approximately 2,000 boys each year from impaired fertility later in life. Monetized benefits are estimated to be 235 million euros per year, with costs around 17 million euros. North American markets don't tend to be as upfront about the health costs and the savings when making these regulations. They tend to focus on the fact that what they're doing is almost out of an abundance of caution, making it seem like the changes aren't that drastic and that products have always been safe. I prefer the EU's description. While many people say that 0.1% is such a small amount, so it's fine, we know that hormone-disrupting chemicals act in very low concentrations in the body and toys are far from the only source of exposure. So cumulatively, particularly when we're talking about children, we should be taking steps to avoid as many sources that we can control to lower the risk of impact from the sources we can't control. To avoid phthalates and children's toys, you can skip anything with the recycling number three on it or with the letters V or PVC below the recycling symbol. I realize that it's really challenging to go totally plastic free. My kids were not, I will be upfront with that. So if plastic is what makes sense for you, look for products with the recycling numbers one, two, four, or five. These tend to be safer plastics. There have been reports of polymer clays such as Fimo and Sculpey that have been found to contain trace amounts of phthalates. Absorption through the skin from using these products isn't well documented, but one way to help reduce exposure is to ensure children's wash hands thoroughly after crafting. Again, I don't subscribe to total avoidance of everything potentially toxic, so mitigating effects is also part of the decision-making process. Up next, lead and heavy metals. I talked a fair bit about this at the beginning of the episode because these are fully recognized neurological toxins, particularly for children, and they have been regulated most strictly. But again, regulation and enforcement are two separate things. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to avoid the dollar store for anything in contact with the skin for extended periods of time. A 2006 study by Ashland University researchers found that 70% of the 20 
Cheap toy jewelry samples they tested contained illegal levels of lead, only three of which were subsequently recalled. The reason in part is because they use scrap metal from electronics as a cheap material. Ironically and sadly, much of which is sent from the U.S. to China for recycling. According to the New York Times, who conducted interviews of employees at toy manufacturers in China, it comes down to cost. Leaded paint was about 30% cheaper than non-leaded paint, and some countries in the Middle East, for instance, do not restrict lead content. One interviewee said, It depends on the client's requirement. If the prices they offer make it impossible to use lead-free paint, we'll tell them that we might have to use leaded paint. If they agree, we'll use it. It totally depends on what the client wants. Another pointed out that there is a national standard on lead level in toys in China, but enforcement is non-existent. Of the approximately 39 lead-related U.S. recalls this year, 38 were made of Chinese-made goods, according to the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Formaldehyde is another toxin on the list that you might not have considered. I know I hadn't. I'm well aware of the concerns in building products with composite wood, but I hadn't really thought of it for toys before. Formaldehyde can be used as a preservative within glues and as an anti-wrinkle treatment. Sometimes it's added to a product intentionally. Sometimes it's formed when different ingredients are combined, called formaldehyde donors, and these are more common in personal care products. The EU restricts formaldehyde migration, emission, and content from toy material, including wood, textiles, and leather. Looking at the U.S. and Canada toy regulations, I didn't see formaldehyde restrictions specifically. And finally, flame retardants. I was shocked to find flammability requirements included in the Canada toy regulation, including options for toys treated with flame retardants, considering everything that we've learned with flame retardant use in mattresses. Chlorinated Tris was a flame retardant that ended up being banned for use in children's PJs due to health risks, but has since been found in children's toys like play tents and tunnels. There will be lots of things that contain flame retardants that you might not know about. I have come to grips with this as just being a fact. I wouldn't necessarily stress about every single stuffy, but where you can ask about flame retardant treatment before buying something, it's a worthwhile question. So the bottom line is that our post-market regulations are reactive, not proactive. Recalls are based on complaints rather than active testing of all products that cross our borders in particular. One of the most basic rules you can follow is to buy local wherever possible. Not a perfect solution, but they will typically have better quality standards than those made overseas. It's still a good idea to ask the manufacturer some of the questions about the toxins mentioned in this episode. If a product is made overseas, ask what quality control processes are in place to ensure product safety beyond the typical regulations. There are some brands that make their products overseas safely and responsibly. Those are the exception rather than the rule, but they do exist. The fact is toys made in China and a handful of other countries pose a greater risk of containing high levels of toxic chemicals than toys made in the US, Canada, or the European Union. So here are a few other things to consider. Painted toys carry a risk of lead and heavy metal contamination. So look for lead-free statements and ask for clarification if it's not clear. Again, the risk is higher in products made outside the US, Canada, and the EU. Avoid Mardi Gras beads and cheap children's jewelry from the dollar store in particular. Choose products that are made with unfinished or naturally finished wood, natural fabric, 
plastics if you're looking for plastics with numbers one, two, four, and five, natural rubber or high quality silicone. And take claims like meets all safety standards with a grain of salt. I will note that standard UL172, the standard for sustainability of toys, combines the EU standards with US requirements and provides limits for VOCs, formaldehyde, phthalates, heavy metals, and more. It would be one that suggests a product is actually better made rather than the ASTM F963 that's required by the US government, for example. You can also search government websites for recall lists to see if the brand you're considering has any. Now, as with everything I share, I do so with the aim to empower you with information, not scare you into inaction. So yes, some of this information sucks to hear. And if you've already got kids with a whole bunch of toys in your house, you might be scrambling, looking at everything, wondering how toxic it is. Please don't. Yes, I wish it were different, but change won't happen unless we demand it. And so going forward, One of the best ways that you can help make this change is to ask questions of the brands that you are considering buying. This is a way of voting. The more questions they get asked about an issue, the more they will pay attention. As history has shown, we cannot wait for regulations to protect us. So don't stress about every toy that will ever enter your house, but where you can choose non-toxic, well-made and locally made toys, please do particularly where young children will be putting it in their mouths. Please go back and listen to episode three about Amazon and children's products if you haven't already done so. It's a great companion episode to this one and illustrates some other important points along these lines. There are loads of product lists and websites out there with brand recommendations and suggestions. A quick Google search will land you on several. I hope that the information in this episode arms you with the knowledge you need to make more informed decisions as you head out to Google looking for safer toys for your family. I also maintain a database of products from mattresses to toys and beyond that my clients and community ask about, along with the ingredient details and my green, greenish, greenwashed rating. It is available within my membership, the Healthy Home Collective. So if you're tired of the research rabbit holes as you try to piece together a strategy to reduce toxins in your home to support your family's long-term health, the collective may just be the answer you're looking for. To learn everything about the collective and what it has to offer, you can visit greenathome.ca forward slash collective. All right, coming up next week, I've got an interview with the authors of the book Countdown that takes a look at how our modern world is threatening sperm counts, altering male and female reproductive development, and imperiling the future of the human race. It sounds very doomsday, but I devoured this book. They offer a lot of insights, information, and solutions, and I cannot wait to share my conversation with Dr. Shauna Swan and Stacey Colino with you. Chat with you then. I do hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to continue the conversation, I'd love to connect with you over in my free Facebook group. It's a great place to get feedback from over 4,000 super supportive members and where I share bonus trainings and content to help make your healthy home journey easier. Just type green product forum in the search bar in Facebook or head into the show notes where you'll find all the places you can find me online. Until next time, have a great day.